This is the Parent School Podcast featuring Polly Ely. She's a marriage and family therapist based in the Bay Area. And I'm Rachel Templeton. I'm the producer and host of the show. If you've ever felt like you are working for your kids, like maybe you should be punching a time card, this is the episode for you. It's about hierarchy. Polly has a simple and I think very helpful message for parents about how to recognize when they're no longer at the top of the command chain in their own homes. I personally got a lot out of this conversation. I'm working on flipping the hierarchy in my house so that I'm a more relaxed and confident leader for my boys. I hope that you'll enjoy the conversation too. Hello, Polly. Hi, Rachel. So we're talking about hierarchy, probably the topic that I could use the most help with. Perfect. Every single day. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> I love it. So when you do a workshop on hierarchy, what do you want parents to really know about the structure in a family and how parents can have boundaries and lead in a relaxed way, which is your specialty? Yeah. So I think it's essential for most parents. It sure was for me to understand how hierarchy works. I think it's a word we've all heard thrown around and don't necessarily know what it means, especially in the context of becoming a relaxed leader. I think, Rachel, I'm going to have to probably describe what my body is doing as I'm talking. Right now, I'm holding my left hand up like I'm holding a basketball upside down. I've got my left hand on top, and my left hand represents parents. And I've got my right hand underneath my left hand like I'm holding the bottom of the basketball. And this represents kids, I found out when I was in the middle of my own personal shit show where my kids were running my life and I was a hostage and I felt like an employee and much of the time they were very clear that they were the boss. And I wasn't really all that clear that they weren't. I was like, okay, uh, I guess that's how this goes. I found out in therapy school that there is this thing called the hierarchy. And in fact, parents are supposed to be on top. Not in a like urgent, controlling, scary way, like was the way that I learned from my parent, but on top in a confident, sturdy, steady way. But kids were supposed to be underneath. There's something really important to know about this because once I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's not happening in my house. <laughs> but I want you to imagine that this hierarchy is fluid. It moves actually kind of like an orbit or like an earth. If you picture the sphere that I'm holding in my hands, imagine that there's lots and lots of moments in the day where the hierarchy goes kind of sideways, where we're in question about who's actually in charge here. We kind of wobble in those moments and I'm not really sure what to do to stay in a leadership position and still be kind of calm and steady. And they're not sure whether I'm in charge or they're in charge. And we go into what I call a wobbly state. And as I'm talking, I've got both of my hands sideways holding a basketball. And how I react in a particular moment will determine whether or not I go back on top or from this wobbly place, they land on top with me underneath. In the moments that I got really reactive, started yelling, started threatening, started using intimidation tactics or reactivity to control my kid, they were on the top of the hierarchy, which actually wasn't all that clear to me in the beginning. I thought, well, if I can control them with my reactions, I'll look like I'm on top. But it's sort of a farce. In fact, when I'm losing my shit, I'm not really on top. I'm all dysregulated inside. I'm fearful that you're going to take me over. I'm fearful that you're going to have a tantrum. I'm really 
desperately trying to hold on to some sense of control. And in those moments, I'm not actually leading. I'm just controlling. So I want to make that distinction. Not naming names, but I'm guilty of this. I have a really hard time staying calm when my kids are not doing what I would like them to do. When I lose my cool and try to control them, either the tone of my voice or the volume of my voice or the intensity of what I'm saying, explain a little bit more about how that actually is creating a hierarchy with them on top and not me. Yeah, it's tricky. You may look like you're on top, but if you're completely sweating inside, you're not a relaxed leader. So yes, you may be a leader in that moment, but it's only seconds or minutes before the hierarchy is going to be tested again because it's not a sturdy, steady leadership. And kids can feel that. They're looking for a leadership that they cannot easily topple, but they're also looking for one that they can test regularly to make sure it's still like pretty steady, feet on the ground, not sweating hard over every moment kind of leadership. That's what helps them relax. Conversely, a leader who really isn't leading or is afraid to lead is also kind of anxiety provoking for the kids. And this goes, I think, for everyone who's listening, you can remember when you've had a boss or a leader in your own life that either seemed afraid of their position or not able to assert their confident leadership. And that made you feel unsteady and a little uncertain and a little like, ah, who's in charge here? What are we doing? Should I be on top? Should they be on top? And I really think this in a way is sort of animalistic. How we organize is really important and we need to know who is going to lead here. So if I've got a leader who's kind of wavering and one minute they're kind of losing their shit and yelling at me and the next minute they're telling me to just forget the boundary that they set a little while ago. We're just going to do something different now. Like if they're sending me mixed messages all day long, I do not know who's in charge. And I'm going to keep trying to assert leadership over that person so that we can have some semblance of a steady leader in place. You said, sometimes I just get so reactive inside and tight. And it is really our job, if we want to be a relaxed leader, to learn how to regulate our own emotions and nervous system. How do I calm myself down when I'm trying to turn the hierarchy right side up? A, it's important to know that from the moment your kid's eyes open in the morning, it is biologically driven in their systems for them to try and turn it and test it and see if this hierarchy is still as stable today as it was yesterday. And if it wasn't stable yesterday, I need to get to work right away to see if it's stable today. This is part of their little operating system. If they get data early in the day that you are calm and in charge and you're not afraid to assert your leadership in a way that feels peaceful and friendly, they will stop testing it probably after the first test. I wonder why it's so hard for so many families. Well, it was so hard for me because I had two moves, the one I got from my mom and the one I got from my dad. Intimidate and use power over tactics is the one I got from my dad to control and get people to comply in the moment. And from my mom, I got use passive aggressive tactics. Don't tell people what you really want them to do. Just be mad at them for the things they're not doing right. And then when they haven't done it right for long enough, you'll explode at them intermittently. So those are the things that I had in my bag that I was using and pulling out randomly. 
And without a third option, you really kind of do whatever you got from your mom, whatever you got from your dad, plus whatever your nervous system just kind of naturally does when you get into conflict. Just learning, how do I stay engaged and connected with this kid without freaking out that they're trying to take the hierarchy and move it so that they're on top? I want to be able to smile, take a deep breath. I want to look at them and think inside my head and heart, that's adorable. (laughs) How cute. But that's not my first reaction if I don't understand how the hierarchy works. You work with a lot of families, and I know when you're out in the world that you're observing families too. Can you give us some examples of when you've seen the hierarchy flipped? I would love to. And this is my favorite part of studying the hierarchy is really just studying the little micro moments that arise for every single parent. I love to walk around and see moments when a hierarchy flips and I could literally time lapse the camera and tell you exactly who's in charge when and when exactly flips. So let's study it together here. I'm watching a family try to get out of a car and I'm picturing a kid in a car seat and dad is just doing his best to, or mom, whomever the couple is, it could be two moms or two dads or hetero couple, whatever. But one of the parents goes to the child to get them out of the car seat and the kid swats at the parent and says, I don't want you. I want daddy. And then the person's hands kind of go back like, whoa, okay. The, The parent's like, all right, hold on. Let me get mom. That seems like an innocuous, basic transaction that's going on between a parent and a child. In this moment, the child has just asserted which parent will be getting him or her out of the car seat. And at that moment, when the parent complies with the child, that's a very quick flip of the hierarchy. If that parent goes, honey, she wants you, love. Okay, I'll be right there. Tell her to hang on. We are now working for the child. You just had the hierarchy flipped on you. This happens at our house all the time when we're putting the kids to bed. One of our children will say, I want daddy now. You don't want to go back in. And frankly, it's really important that the child gets to experience dad say, I understand you want mom and you got me. Tomorrow you might have mom because we switch off nights or something like that. But in that moment, if your husband is able to say, aha, this is a moment where my kid would like me to work for them. And if I let them, I will A, resent my kid, B, resent my job, and C, become a nightmare to my partner because I'm going to go get her now. And how cool if your partner can recognize that moment and go, you know what? This isn't just about me going to get mom. This is a much bigger and more important conversation that my kid just invited me into, which is, are you stable and steady enough to take the lead right now? Even if I threaten a tantrum or I raise the stakes in some way by saying, if mommy doesn't do it, I'm not going to sleep. Kids are really clever and they will just throw down some kind of high risk potential situation that will have you flip into the hostage position within seconds. All they need is one parent to go, okay, cool, I'll go get mom. That's a huge jackpot. That is data for them. Okay, all I have to do is raise the stakes a little bit. And sure enough, I'm on top of this thing. This is great. So every time they get a win, they also get a little bit more power. They're getting reinforcement. And they're like, you know what? This is not that hard to do. I'm going to try to rock this at breakfast as well. 
All right, other examples. So let's talk about waking up in the morning because the morning is the holy land of hierarchy. If their eyes open and within seconds, they're not sort of thinking about how to topple the hierarchy, they're probably not human. Most of them are waking up and the eyes go ping. And it's not a conscious thought. It's in their drive to test and see if they're in charge or you are. And this could happen while they're lying in bed. Mommy, mom, turn on my light. Something as simple as that. And mommy's woke up. She's had her coffee. She's in a good mood. She's ready to serve. She runs into the room and she goes, sure, honey. When a child is talking to you like that as a command or an assertion or a demand, that means we're starting the day off with them on top. So let's rewind. Let's take the exact same scenario. Mommy, I'm awake. I'm ready for my milk. It's like literally just a statement of their readiness for service to begin. (laughs) Most parents don't recognize that moment. The hierarchy gets wobbly sideways in that moment. We haven't determined which way this is going to go. But if mom just registered, that was actually a command or a demand. It really wasn't a request, a clear one where I felt like I had a choice. Here's what could happen if in this wobbly moment, I take the lead. So child says, mom, I'm awake. I'm ready for my milk in bed. And mom goes, hmm, that sounded like a hierarchy moment. Like I'm working for the kid. That felt shitty. I'm going to go to the room and I'm going to invite them to say hello or good morning before they say anything else to me. And I will let them know that my attention will be available as soon as they do. So that's a moment where I'm letting them know there's a certain way to address me starting first thing in the morning, and it starts with hello or good morning. And at that moment, I'm going to stop talking. Here's a really important distinction. A lot of people go into the room and they say, get ready, Rachel. I am not someone who responds to that kind of command first thing in the morning. You need to say good morning to your mother. And then they talk and they talk and they talk and they lecture and they teach. And guess what? That kid just got a jackpot. You are all riled up. They got you all in a twist and they haven't even been awake for a minute. So you might just give them a quick little, I'm willing to talk to you when you're ready to start a conversation that feels good to me. And by the way, I really emphasize that to me part. So many parents living in a world that does not feel good to them with kids who are speaking to them in ways that feel horrible. It's more meaningful for a child to hear their parents say, gosh, that really didn't feel good to my ears or that didn't feel good for me. I'm going to hold on before I respond to you until you can say that again in a way that does feel good for me. Now what we're doing is we're teaching that this hierarchy doesn't move when you're a jerk to me. (laughs) You don't get to be in charge in this moment. You don't get to talk to me that way. But what most people do is just start the lecture. You can't talk to me like that. You uh, like a whole bunch of lecture. Much more powerful to hear something that doesn't feel palatable and say, sorry, champ, that doesn't feel good to me. You're going to have to rewind and start again. And then silence. No more engagement, no more attention on this person until they are willing to rewind and say, sorry, mom, good morning. Could I get some milk? 
now the hierarchy has just flipped and I'm back on top and the kids underneath. And let me tell you what's happening inside of the kid's nervous system. They're literally saying inside themselves, oh, thank God, someone's in charge here. I don't have to run this show today. One of the single biggest reasons for kids being anxious in this world is because they're not sure who's in charge. I wanted to ask about more examples because I think that's so helpful in helping all of us identify when the hierarchy is being flipped. Let's do it. So what happens at the breakfast table? Well, let's start with just the declaration of hunger. This is one that just goes on throughout the day and parents don't recognize it. I'm hungry. Okay. All your kid just did was declare a state of being. But if you do do something in that moment, what you've just done is entrained your child to declare their state of being, hunger, and you immediately pop into an employee status. I'm hungry is really just something to respond to. Oh, your belly's hungry. Okay. Most of us really efficiently minded parents want to jump right into solving that problem. But frankly, my kid needs to solve that problem on their own by way of asking for what they need. In my world, I would like for the hierarchy to stay stable. And if in the moment that my kid says, I'm hungry, I say, well, what would you like, sweetheart? I've just entered employee status. But if they say, I'm hungry, and I say, oh, you're hungry, and then I'm quiet, I might cue them and say, I wonder if there's something you need that you want to ask for. I'm inviting them to go into an asking role. And asking is one of the fastest ways to flip the hierarchy back into its right position. Most kids out of entrainment will arrive at the morning breakfast table and look at what's available and they may or may not like it. If they don't like it and they're testing the hierarchy, they'll go, "Ugh, it's disgusting. I hate this. Why did you make this? And we will suddenly have whatever experience we have inside of us and we will respond And the moment we respond to, I hate this. I am engaged as your employee. I have done something wrong that I'm ready to rectify. (laughs) It's a totally innocent moment, but often parents will say, well, what was it that you wanted? Maybe I have time to make it, which would flip the hierarchy into position where they are in charge and I'm underneath, or I'd get all fired up inside. Well, that's rude. That's what you get. You're getting oatmeal today. And that, you know, you and that's not how you talk to me in the morning. I learned this thing about hierarchy and this is not it. Well, I'm also not on top in this moment. A relaxed leader recognizes, oh, the kid's trying to be in charge. It's 659 and he's going for it right now. And I will let them know that's not how you come to the table, honey. I'm gonna hold the oatmeal which is the only thing that's available for you today. And I'll wait for you to come to the table in a way that feels good to me. So go ahead and rewind, head back to your room and just come back to the table and say maybe something like, good morning, thanks for the meal. This isn't my favorite. So if my kid doesn't yet have the words for how to arrive and be cool, I'm gonna give them a couple of ideas because I don't want them to be totally stumped if they've been successful at being kind of a turkey as they arrive to the table for a long time. They might need a little script as to what it is I'm looking to hear. 
Another example, maybe not related to food. Absolutely. I need something. I need help. My shoe won't tie. My video game won't play. My iPad's broken. Anything's happening. (laughs) I don't understand my homework. Whatever it is that they have, the puzzle of the moment, the mere declaration of there being some problem that needs to be fixed and are jumping into fix-it mode is a moment where the hierarchy is flipping because our kids need problems and there are going to be ones that they can't solve, but in the moment that they determine that there's a problem and they need your help and then they ask for your help, you get back on top. So here's one. Ours used to show up in the form of our kids voting for things that they wanted or didn't want either to eat or to do when we were together as a family. My partner and I would say, God, I'm in the mood for Mexican. Are you in the mood for Mexican? We're all in the car. We're heading to Mexican. We've just decided, me and my co-pilot, we're going to go have some really good tacos. And from the back seat, we hear, I hate Mexican. I'm not eating that. And sure enough, our unsteady leadership goes literally inside of both of us. If you could narrate is like, oh shit, we're not going to be able to have Mexican. We forgot that we're in charge in that moment. And we start formulating solutions for the child that hates Mexican. Well, maybe we can pop by the Chinese place that you like afterward. Or, well, do we really need to have Mexican? I guess we could do that on our date night. Out of nowhere, there's this interference of what the child wants. And we completely forgot to kind of say, pause. Let's both of us co-pilots talk about what it is we're wanting And we'll let you know, thanks for your vote, I might say to the kid in the backseat. I hear you that you don't like Mexican. Dad and I will talk, or mom and I will talk, and we'll decide what our move is going to be. But for now, you just hang tight. So putting space between how I respond to this kid's demand or declaration and letting them know that we're going to think this one through, A, reminds the kid that I'm in charge, they are not. And B, it reminds myself that I am. I need constant reminders that this kid is not making all the calls for our life. In order for me to continue to like this kid, I need to know that. Oh, I get tense inside just talking about it. I'm thinking of another example if you want to just play with it. What I'm noticing a lot now is places where parent items, actual physical items, aren't being regarded as parent items, that the child has 100% access to everything that they want to touch and handle that belongs to parents. Like things with a zipper that look like a purse are a private item. And in order to get into that item, you do need to kind of look at the zipper and hear the secret message that it says. And here's how I tell my kids this story. I say, see the zipper? If it could talk, it would say, wait, go ask your mom if you can open me. Mostly, we don't even notice the moment in which they jam open a zipper or grab our iPhone and help themselves to the password, opening up our iPhone and helping themselves to an app. That's a hierarchy issue. That means you accidentally thought your kid was your peer and that they should have all access to your iPhone is a mistake so guilty of this. Oh. (laughs) How do you back out of that? The coolest thing to me about this style of parenting, the lab method says at any moment, you can be vulnerable with your kid and say, you know what? 
I think I made a mistake giving you the code to my phone because it doesn't feel great when you grab my phone out of my purse and it doesn't feel great when you help yourself to the password and then just go into it without asking. So that was on me, but we're going to do things differently. And I'm going to let you know that there's change is coming. I'm about to change the password. And from now on, I would like you, when you want to help yourself to my phone, to ask if you can touch it, number one. That's a hierarchy issue that puts me on top and you underneath. And if I say yes, then you would hand me the phone to unlock the phone for you. And then you would be free to use it if I said that was okay. I've asked you this in other episodes, but I imagine people listening might be thinking, now my kids are older. I've got tweens. I only have a few more years before they leave. I mean, is it ever too late for parents to flip their hierarchy or to learn to do things differently? It is never, ever too late. If they are still in your home, you can go to them at any moment and say, oh my gosh, I've been letting you do this for so long and I'm so sorry. I was afraid of the tantrum you were going to have. I was afraid of the thing you were threatening to do. If I didn't give you exactly what you wanted, I let you be on top and I let you run roughshod over me. I'm really working on turning this around. You've just done them the biggest solid favor of their lives. Because if they leave your house without a sense of what an emotional boundary is, a physical boundary, and how to follow rather than just bully people on top, you've basically just saved their life in terms of relationships. Would you say negotiation fits into that? There's a lot of that that goes on at my house. Like, okay, I'll do this if you let me do that. Okay. That's actually them bribing you And yeah, they're not even negotiating. It's kind of like extortion (laughs) going on. And that's a great example, Rachel, where the hierarchy is flipped enough times that in order for that child to do anything for you, you will have to agree to a certain set of terms. That is a sign that you've got a completely upside down hierarchy. So for you to recognize that and say, oh my gosh, how adorable. You think that mommy has to do something in order for you to do something for mommy. I am so sorry for whatever I have done to contribute to that confusion. But no, I'm not going to give you 15 minutes of iPad time in order for you to unload the dishwasher. You, my friend, are going to unload the dishwasher. And then when you're done, you're going to ask me, about 15 minutes of iPad time. And that's how the new regime rolls. A simple way that it shows up is that I've asked my kid to do something and they tell me that they just need to do something else first. I ask you to do your chore and they tell me, hold on a couple of minutes. I'm not quite ready. I'm going to finish what I'm doing here. And that's fine. I understand that we're not all running on my timeline, but sometimes it goes on and on, right? If my kid says, I'm not really ready, can I do it in about 15 minutes? I'll say, okay, that sounds reasonable. Why don't you go ahead and set an alarm for 15 minutes so I don't have to come back and remind you. And in that case, I've been a flexible leader right there. I'm willing to negotiate a little bit. I'm not rigid. And I think this is important because when I get into like, you need to do something right now, which we all get very urgent sometimes about the right now-ness of things. I'm not actually on top in that moment. I'm starting to become a fearful leader. 
I have a mantra that I love and has supported me throughout my 21 years of raising young people. And that is this, we work first and then we play. That's the rhythm of life. But a lot of kids will be like, no, we play and then we play. And then I'll tell you when I'm ready to work, which is never. And that's not really how a hierarchy that's right side up looks. I use that mantra just to support a healthy hierarchy and say, no, we work first and then we play. You're allowed to finish up your play and then we go to do some work. And then after that, we play. And then after that, we work. And if you need something in the interim, you'll ask. And that's how we'll keep the hierarchy in place as we go. How do consequences fit in with keeping the hierarchy intact? It's such a good question, Rachel. When a kid's done something kind of egregiously wrong, and let's say they need a timeout, like they need to break, totally reset, and you're in the business of giving a timeout, if my kid is in a timeout and they are screaming at me during the timeout, they are deciding when their timeout is over, they were in charge. So for people who are saying, you know what, you need to take five minutes to reset, it starts when you're quiet. I'll put the timer on when you're quiet. At that moment, I will set a timer. And when that timer is over, I will come to get you. And I will let you know that your timeout is over. That is a hierarchy being right side up kind of timeout. The way most timeouts go is the kid yells at the parent, thrashes around, throws a bunch of stuff. The parent closes a door, locks them in. And then finally, at a certain point, the kid goes, I'm ready to be done. I feel better. I'm done with my timeout. And the parent goes, okay, sweetheart, come on out. And guess what? We have about 30 seconds before round two of this kid is in charge of me begins. (laughs) So... What's really essential is that if we are like really rocking a consequence and wanting it to work, we have to flip the hierarchy during that consequence, which means that my kid is in a position that they are remembering I am in charge of them. And that could mean that a five-minute timeout takes an hour and a half. And that's okay with me because when that kid comes out of the timeout, they need to know who's on top and not by way of intimidation or fear or threats. I just want them to remember somebody was willing to hold ground here. And I had times where my kid would thrash and yell and scream in a timeout. And I would gently come in and say, timeout starts when you're quiet. So this five minute timeout, my sweetheart could take all day. And I'm okay with that. I've cleared the deck just so you can learn how to get through a timeout in a way that feels good to me. Because you yelling, I hate you during a timeout, timeout hasn't begun. Point two, I'm going to invite the kid to come out and do the egregious thing over again in a way that actually works because that's actually where the learning is. But we do need to first flip the hierarchy. I can't take a non-compliant child out of a consequence and expect them to not just pull the same shit over and over again. They actually need to feel like I'm in charge. A punishment or a consequence isn't useful if the kid's in charge for the entire time the consequence is going. And a lot of kids are like, fine, I'll sit in the timeout, but I'm only sitting here for three minutes. Well, guess what? Your kid just set the terms of a consequence. It ain't a consequence. You're still working for them. That's when you catch that moment and you go, you know what? Sorry, I'm 
going to decide how long you're in the timeout and I will let you know when it starts. That's adorable that you think that you're the one setting the terms. Very cute. (laughs) And I say that a little sarcastically, but also kind of friendly. Like I'm remembering like this is part of what it is to be a kid. He's not a bad kid. There's nothing wrong with him. The desire to flip the hierarchy is actually a sign of intelligence and leadership. It's okay. And it's, if you can look at it as kind of cute and adorable, you'll get through it and stay on top a lot more of the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parent School. That was Polly Ely. I'm producer and host and imperfect parent, Rachel Templeton. What did you think of the show? We would love to hear from you. You can visit parentschoolpodcast.com. That will bring you to Polly's Lab Method website, where you will find more great resources from her teachings. And you can also send us an email or leave us a voice recording with any parenting questions that you have and you'd like us to address on a future episode. Thank you again so much for listening. We will see you soon.